the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Last number 3030. The following program is sponsored Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. We are our upbringing. We are what our friends influence us concerning. And we are what the Holy Spirit has saved us to be. Do you want to know what shapes a man? Do you want to know how a life is made significant? Friends? family, and the special gifting of the Holy Spirit. days, there's a lot of talk about the making of a man, but just how does God define manhood? That's our subject today on Know the Truth as Philip DeCourcy opens to 2 Timothy chapter 1. All the messages in this current series titled Without Apology were recently delivered at a series of men's breakfasts at Kindred Community in Anaheim Hills, California, where Philip is senior pastor. And while this message was delivered to men, we're all called to lead and serve, whether at home or church or in our communities. Here's Philip. Paul writes to this timid but gifted young man called Timothy to encourage him to be all that God has saved him to be. We're going to see the big influences in Timothy's life, and we're going to understand some of the things that shape a man, help him to determine God's direction in his life. Next to Paul, we see in our text, 2 Timothy chapter 1, that Timothy's family had a big and bold influence in his life. Okay, you've got this relationship between Paul and Timothy, this relationship between a spiritual father and a spiritual son. But now we go through the front door into Timothy's home, and we realize that his mother and his grandmother had a tremendous impact. Look at verse 5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, I'm persuaded is in you also. Paul is recognizing the family factor. Timothy had been lifted before God by the prayers of his mother and grandmother. Timothy had been pushed to Christ by the instruction and the example of his family. Now, what's interesting too, by the way, scroll back up to verse 3, and you'll see that Paul is quick to acknowledge that factor in his own life. He grew up with a good and a godly heritage. He was a Jewish man, very much aware of the importance of lineage and heritage. Look at verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. Now let me try and explain why Paul would mention that. Because remember, he's writing from prison. He's being charged with criminal activity. 
And Paul is writing to say, look, I may be looked upon by the Romans and certainly by some Jewish authorities as a radical, lawless man. But before the bower of my own conscience, I'm innocent. And I want you to know that while some look upon me as a radical type, I'm following God in the footsteps of my ancestors. And I would make an argument, I'm following God in a deeper, fuller manner through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. I haven't abandoned my ancestry. I haven't abandoned or been disloyal to my heritage. In fact, I have taken one step further. I have embraced the fullness of it, the completion of it, in that Christ is the promised seed. He is a descendant of Abraham, and he is a son of David, and he is Israel's king. So the point is, heritage played a big role in Paul's life. And heritage played a big role in Timothy's life. And I would just suggest to you as we apply this and move on, that the Christian home ought to be an outpost of the kingdom of God on earth. The Christian home is at the front lines of Christian evangelism and discipleship. Think about this, guys. Jesus said to his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son. And you know what? You ought to do that with your school friends, with your neighbors, with your workmates. But doesn't it begin? And in some senses, shouldn't it be easier when God has given us a little flock of boys and girls who we have for the most formative years of their life, and we should be pouring our prayers and our passion and our purpose into winning our children to Jesus Christ? We will have no greater joy than that our children walk in the truth. And charity... Christian charity begins at home. And we see it here, and we want to be challenged by it. Your name, your legacy, your prayers, your discipleship will impact your family. You will be one of the greatest influences in your children's life. For good, hopefully, and not for bad. Let's move on. You've got not only the friend factor and the family factor, we've got what I call the favor factor. When I talk about favor, I'm speaking about God's favor, God's special gifting. Because if you go back to our text, look at verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So far, we have seen God working indirectly through Paul and through Eunice and through Lois. But now we're seeing God work directly in the making of a man. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to gift or enable every man in the body of Christ for a certain task, to fulfill a certain calling. And that's where we're at here. Now, in this text, we see what I might call the fruit of the Spirit and the favor of the Spirit. I'm not going to deal a lot with the fruit of the Spirit, which I believe is verse 7. Now, if you look at your English text, most Bibles translate Spirit with a small s, and that could well be the case. This is not a hell to die on. And so Paul is saying, you know what? If God is at work in a man's life, God doesn't produce a spirit, an attitude of cowardice or timidity. 
But I agree with Gordon Fee, who would argue that really it should be better translated Holy Spirit, or give it a capital S, because God's Spirit at work in a man doesn't produce timidity. God's Spirit produces power, love, self-control. I would argue that because verse 7 begins with 4, which means it can be and should be connected to the preceding verses, and especially the closest verse, verse 6, which speaks about the gifts of God, which implicitly is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And also, the words power and love and self-control are all associated in Pauline writings with the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that strengthens us. It's the Spirit that produces the fruit of love and self-control. Read about it in Galatians 5. So there you have the fruit of the Spirit. But what interests us is the favor of the Spirit, verse 6. And one would see here that this must have been an ordination gift because the laying on of hands are mentioned both here and in 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. What might the gift of God be in this case? Well, one would imagine the gift of pastoring and the gift of teaching. Ephesians 4 verse 7 and verse 11. That's the role Timothy's playing in Ephesus. He's pastoring, leading that congregation, and he's teaching them the Word of God. That's why Paul will say he preached the Word in season and out of season. Now, you could make an argument also that you might have here the gift of evangelism, because in chapter 4 and verse 5, we read that he's to do the work of an evangelist. Either way, Paul's alluding to the fact that God has gifted Timothy and enabled Timothy to carry out Christian leadership. These are enablements. If you want me to define a gift of the Spirit of God, I would define it as a special grace that fits us for a particular service. It's a special grace that fits us for a particular service. Now, I've said often when dealing with the gifts of the Spirit that they must not be used as an excuse. There's the gift of mercy. Some people will excel particularly in the gift of mercy. But does that mean we don't have to be merciful? No. Some man will excel in the gift of teaching. So I don't have to teach my children? No, you've got to teach. These are special enablements that draw us in to an arena of ministry and life where we will excel and see some success. These are dispositional differences among us. They are beyond the natural talent, although sometimes they work with it. They are chosen for us by the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. They are given to all. Every Christian has one of these gifts or more than one of these gifts, according to 1 Peter 4, verse 10. They must be exercised for the good of others, for their edification, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. And we must be careful that they don't become dormant. Like, you've got to discover it, first of all. You've got to develop it, second of all. And then you've got to constantly use it so that it doesn't become dormant. Because this is an important part of who you are. Do you want to know what shapes a man? Do you want to know how a life is made significant? Friends? Family? And the special gifting of the Holy Spirit. We are our upbringing. We are what our friends influence us concerning. And we are what the Holy Spirit has saved us to be. Think that out. Someone has thought this out 
by taking the word shape and using it as an acrostic and giving us five ways God shapes people. Number one, spiritual gifts. You want to know what you ought to be, what you ought to be doing in life? Spiritual gifts will determine that. You have been supernaturally enabled to excel in a certain area. Number two, heart. What is your passion? What is your desire, right? Think about the calling of a pastor. 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. So S, spiritual gifts. H, heart. A, abilities. What are your natural talents? What are your natural inclinations, your natural skills? I don't think God will waste that. I don't think they will work in competition with your spiritual gifts. They'll often enhance it. Number four, P, personality. This wouldn't be the most important, but what kind of suits my personality and disposition? And number five, E, experiences. What spiritual experiences have I had? What painful experiences have I had? What educational experiences have I had? What ministry experiences have I had? God doesn't waste much in our lives. I think that's very helpful. Isn't that good? Shape, spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, experiences. And you and I need to think that out in the making of a man. Let me give you an illustration in this and begin to wrap this up on the fourth point. But this is good. I'm not aware of this guy, but some of you guys will be aware of the former coach of the Houston Oilers and the New Orleans Saints, Bum Phillips. Remember Bum Phillips? He was known as the master of one-liners. I was just reading something about him recently. In fact, his wife said to him one day, said, you know what, Bum? I think you love football better than you love me. To which he replied, you're right, but I do want you to know I love you better than basketball. Yeah, this guy sounds good and funny. One of his running backs when he was at the Houston Oilers was a guy called Earl Campbell, Heisman Trophy winner from the University of Texas, all-pro player. And Bum was asked once by a reporter, is Earl Campbell in a class all by himself? To which he replied, Earl may not be in a class by himself, but whatever class he's in, it doesn't take long to call the roll. Another one-liner was one of his scouts said to him, Earl Campbell is a sprinter, you know. He's not a distance runner. He can't run a mile. Do you still want to draft him? To which Bum replied, sure. I just won't give him the ball when it's third down in a mile. (laughs) See, a good coach, a good coach knows the abilities of his players and he plays them when their abilities can be best used. And guys, I'm telling you, in my life, your life, let's keep working on allowing God to shape us by His Spirit, by His providence, through spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences to be the man He has saved us to be and to become effective servants for Him. Finally, what we might call the fortitude factor the fortitude factor. The fourth and final component in the making of a man is self-discipline and self-effort. Not going to spend a lot of time here because we have acknowledged in the shaping of Timothy, in the making of this man, there has been Paul's investment. There has been Lois and Eunice's involvement. 
There has been the work of the Holy Spirit in special gifting and favor that Timothy must stir up and fan back into a flame because it looks like he was neglecting that gift. In fact, back in 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul specifically says, do not neglect the gift that was given to you by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. So there's something for Timothy to do. Paul did something. His family did something. The Holy Spirit did something magnificent, regenerating him, baptizing him, indwelling him, and gifting him. But now Timothy must do something. He must fan into a flame what God has indeed given him. Look at verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He must work with others, and he must cooperate with God. It's his responsibility to respond to God's ability. He must put into practice what he has learned from Paul and been instructed by his parents, and he must indeed use his gifts. This idea here to stir up is an idea of to fan into a flame. Now, most of us don't have coal fires here in California. One, we don't need them, and two, we'd rather have a gas fire. We just flick a switch. It's clean. It's convenient. But I grew up in a home, and we owned a home in Northern Ireland where it was a coal fire. And they're a lot of work. You got to keep stirring them up. You got to rake out the ashes in the morning. You got to put some slag on top of them at night. And then you break it in the morning and you feed it with some oxygen and more coal. You've got to keep that thing lit because the last thing you want to do is it for it to go out. Then you got to start all over again and build it up. And that's the image. Fires have a tendency to die down and they must be fanned back into a flame poked and stirred and fed and focused on. That's the challenge. The Christian life requires discipline. I'm sorry to end on this note, but this is where the text has us. It requires mastery. In fact, if you go to that phrase at the end of verse 7, sound mind, it's better translated, and some of your translations will do this, self-control or self-mastery. Or as William Hendrickson puts it in his commentator, take yourself in hand. And guys, as we close, you need to have mastery over your moods, over your temptations, over your abilities, over your dispositions. There's no such a thing as let go and let God. I want to say this and listen to me. There's little that is spontaneous about the Christian life. There is little that is spontaneous about the Christian life. It requires discipline, self-mastery. That's why Paul will take the image of the athlete in 1 Corinthians 9 and say, hey, I beat myself, I subject myself, I discipline myself like an athlete so that I may win the prize. And we're told, aren't we, in 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8, exercise yourself unto godliness? That's a Greek word that gives us our word gymnasium. Get to the spiritual gym. Exercise yourself in prayer and fasting and the reading of God's Word in developing your spiritual gifts and making yourself accountable to the body of Christ. That's why 2 Timothy 1 verse 5 to 11 will say, give all diligence adding to your faith. That's why Jude 20, 21 will say what? Build yourself up in your most holy faith, keeping yourself in the love of God and looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus.
R. Kent Hughes says, the Christian life is a sweaty affair. You've got to exercise yourself on the godliness, spill some holy sweat, make some effort, give yourself in discipline to the things that God has called you to do. There's little that's spontaneous about the Christian life. You want to be a good student of God's Word? Then you need to set the alarm, and you need to keep that appointment with God. You need to develop the discipline of reading. You need to pray on a regular basis. And if that's tough, then ask a man to pray with you and develop that discipline alongside him. You need to be part of a Christian fellowship. You need to commit to a local church in membership. There is little that's spontaneous about the Christian life. It requires self-effort, self-discipline, self-mastery. And the Spirit of God will underwrite it with joy and power and strength. You know what? As we close, when you think about Churchill, do you not think about his rising speeches? We will fight them on the beaches. This will be our finest hour. But he actually worked over his speeches methodically, almost wrote them out word for word. In fact, he loved to take a bath in the afternoon almost every day of his life. And as his assistant came in and found him lying in the bath, writing something, he said, what are you writing? He said, I'm writing my latest spontaneous speech. I'm writing my latest impromptu speech. And when you get behind the voice of the British people in the free world, there wasn't much that was spontaneous about it. Churchill was a very disciplined man. He read well, he wrote well, and it came across well. Guys, freedom in the Christian life, it comes at the cost of discipline. There's, there's little that's spontaneous about our walk with God. The making of a man. How interesting. We get a little bit of a flavor of this young man that Paul's writing to, and he loves him, and he gives us four big influences. Friends, parents, family, the gifting of the Holy Spirit, and self-discipline on the part of Timothy, who's the recipient of all those blessings. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time in the Word. We're excited about our study of Second Timothy because we want to live lives without apology, without retreat. And so we pray that we would learn from the inside track we're given here on the making of a man. Help us to see these influences, then see them in relation to us, and then help us to indeed express those influences towards others, so that indeed we might become all that you've saved us to be. For we pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Know the Truth with pastor and Bible teacher Philip DeCourcy. Today's message is titled, The Making of a Man. And while this message was originally delivered at a monthly men's breakfast, the principles apply to men and women alike. God's Word has relevance to all people. It's that belief that drives us to preach the Word of God every day on radio stations across the country and online around the world at ktt.org. So however you listen, you can always count on Know the Truth to bring you God's Word with boldness, clarity, and conviction. And you can help make this teaching freely available to more people than ever. Join in on that mission when you become one of our valued Truth Ambassadors. With an automated monthly gift of $25 or more, you'll receive some exclusive resources, including access to monthly live video devotionals from Philip. It's easy to sign up online at ktt.org. Or give us a call at 888-644-8811. And whether you give a recurring monthly gift or a one-time donation, 
We'll send you a book that Philip heartily recommends by his friend Steve Farrar. The book, Anchorman, is a bestseller and provides some inspiring insights on how a father can anchor his family in Christ for the next 100 years. To request this book for an anchorman in your life, visit us online at ktt.org. You can also call us at 888-644-8811 or write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And if you've never reached out to Know the Truth before, we've got a gift for you. It's a free bookmark with some helpful reminders about biblical mentoring, both how to be a mentor and how to find a mentor. Get it online at ktt.org. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. That's all the time we have for today, but join us again tomorrow right here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The skills you can develop as a soldier in the Army National Guard can give you an edge in the high-tech job market of tomorrow. The Guard offers career training to take advantage of your skills in science, technology, engineering, and math that can help give you a leg up to a high-paying and rewarding STEM profession. Get a head start on your career while earning money to pay for college. Log on to NationalGuard.com to learn about all of the STEM career opportunities in the Army National Guard. Sponsored by the D.C. Army National Guard. Aired by the Maryland, D.C., Delaware Broadcasters Association at this station. God has a lot to give us. Listen to this Bible Minute. One of the gifts God gives to you at the point of salvation is the Holy Spirit. In Romans 5, the Apostle Paul describes all the good things you and I have because we have Christ Jesus as our Savior. And down on that list of good things, we have peace with God. We have access to God, and we have the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is your seal of salvation. The Holy Spirit of God is your proof of salvation. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.